just asking her if you can use the school computers today. Dad, the rubbish, they don't even work properly. Well, unless you've got a couple hundred quid lying about, we've got no choice. Joseph, why don't you go and clean your teeth, love? Listen, Ches. Sam, have you took the last fiver? Yeah, I needed it for a loaf. I put the change back in. Craig's baked us some bread. He's bringing it round this afternoon. Bread is the last thing we need to spend money on. Craig bakes bread. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 190 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast in a week filled with disturbing and speculative spoilers from Charlie Millward is amazed that nothing predicted Gemma, Bernie, Joseph, Alad, Bryn, Karis and Cleo all ganging up Orient Express style and butchering Chesney for a Sunday roast. I'm Gavin. And I'm Alina Teeny-Weenie. <laughs> well, hello Alina. <laughs> Very Teeny-Weenie. <laughs> How are you this morning? Teeny weeny teeny tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm alright. Still don't have COVID. <laughs> how, how are we avoiding this? I don't know. Against the odds. Very much so. Against the odds, the only person in this house who's had COVID is the person with the least amount of comorbidities. In fact, I don't think she has any comorbidities. Comorbidities? Comorbidities. Core. I don't know what that is. It's, it's like being being overweight. Or having ADHD, oh. or having an iron deficiency, all these things that are strikes against you when it comes to fighting deadly disease. Okay, so another way of expressing that then, the healthiest amongst us is the <laughs> one who catches COVID. Right, when supposedly 75% of people, you know, almost everybody who catches COVID has comorbidities, so it's fine. They were dying anyway, Yeah, according to some people. Not true. <laughs> no, certainly not true for that person. Well, no. Ah, but yes, we continue to dodge that bullet. Yay us. (laughs) By rarely going out, staying as far away from people as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm at work. God, this is, it's such a difficult thing to remember to do. It turns out I'm at work a couple of times a week. And we've got to wear our masks when we're walking about. There was talk of us not having to do that starting from the middle of February, but that's been knocked in the head now, so we're kind of pleased with this. But as I stand up from my desk and walk away from my desk, I keep on forgetting to put your mask mask on. on. So So at lunch yesterday... never take it off. I don't like sitting at my desk going on. Oh, the kids have to do it. Why not you? I don't have to do it, so I don't. (laughs) So I get up to go to lunch, and going to lunch is about a five minute walk from my desk not me maybe not even that couple of minutes three or four minutes and it's downstairs right so i'm in the middle of the dining area thinking about what i'm going to eat when i realize i don't have my mask on and everyone's looking at me so rather than just stay there and get my food and then go back up the stairs i run back up the stairs to get my mask and then go back down the stairs again to get my food just never take it off at work please (sighs) no I'm t- I take it off in a second. Because that's terrifying to me. 
hearing yeah. that story. That story terrifies me. It was terrifying to realise. I mean, I do it when I'm walking to the bathroom. I, I forget, but that's just like, <laughs> like like fifty feet away, so it's not a big deal to like turn and go back. But it was the fact that I just panicked. What What do you do? You, you never take your, your mask off. No, I will. You need to get over this. My mask is coming off when I sit down on my desk. Just deal with it. It's, that's what's happening. It's terrifying, but that's all right. Well, it has to be. So, yeah. How are you? Well, apart from that, I'm fine. <laughs> this is how busy that I've been. Our little pod track thing here that records the podcast isn't dead, mm-hmm. but isn't dead yet. Right. There's some weird things going on with it, so I got another one. <laughs> but I've been so busy, I haven't had a chance to set it up. Right. In fact, it's, it hasn't come out of the box. Which is fine. Because this one isn't, as you as you pointed out, this one isn't dead yet. Isn't so dead yet. might as well run its course. I guess. So, I'm looking at it like I'm expecting something explosive to happen. <laughs> so far it's not. So far it's behaving itself. Well, so, that's good. Yeah. What's keeping you busy? Well, that, that's a question for another podcast. That's a podcast. different podcast. <laughs> oh, well. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that face-covering Cory news. We're just inventing adjectives at this point. We are. Condolences to Charlie Condu and his family as his sister died this week of cancer. The actor who played Marcus Dent on the show revealed his sister Nikki had ovarian cancer in 2019. So condolences to the family there. Indeed. Awful lot of awful lot of death of celebrities and, and death of, of people related to celebrities going around. And it's only January. Our Sally made her debut on Dancing on Ice she this week. She did. And she was fabulous. She was excellent. Yeah, although nerves nearly got the best of her and she almost pulled out. But not like that. <laughs> We're glad she didn't, as the 58-year-old actor did a far better job than either of us 40-somethings ever could. Oh, so, well th- done, Sally. Keep up the good work. In fact, I almost slipped on the ice taking packages to the garage 20 minutes ago. So That's icy out there. It is icy. She, she did a great... Mm-hmm. A great... Uh, it's... It's not easy. I can't even ice skate. No, I can't. And I can't inline skate. And I can't roller skate. I can roller skate. I can but barely that's about fucking it. walk. <laughs> but And yet you won't wear a mask. But there's a... Well, that doesn't really help me keep my balance or not. I don't know what your mask... I don't know where you're wearing your mask, but where I wear mine doesn't help my balance. So, in this Dancing on Ice show, one of the, the dancers, one of the, the celebrities... Uh-huh. Is a dancer from Strictly. What? That doesn't seem very fair. And it I know it's, they're different disciplines, and one of them you're on ice and one of them you're not, but mm-hmm. it's like when a pussycat doll goes on Strictly and you think, well, that was part of your job was to dance. Hmm. It's don't... slightly different kinds of dancing, though. It's more ballroom than coochie coochie and hip hop. I think if you've got a, a background in dance, I think you're you're a better candidate for transferring those skills into different types of dance yeah, as opposed to somebody who's never danced before in their life. And I think part of the joy of the show comes from watching people like Sally who 
isn't a nice skater or right. isn't a nice dancer and seeing how they develop. Whereas uh-huh. you've got this uh, Brendan Cole character from Strictly who starts off getting six and a half and seven and a half. I had no idea that this, this news piece was going to end in a rat. It's, it's annoyed me. Because I don't think he has any business being on this. He's too good for it. Well, hold your horses. Because finally... Oh, oh I'm done? Okay. Are you? Sounds like it. <laughs> you are. And finally... Has Tim's dad traded magic for music in the afterlife? What? <laughs> Ghost Ian, magic? Ian Bartholomew appeared on Britain's Got Talent. He did. Sh- shocking judges who obviously didn't see his video last year in, in how beautifully he sings his song about um, oh, so it wasn't spousal magic. abuse. No. No, he traded magic for music. Right. See. So he's no I longer. I think it would have been funnier if he'd done some, some magic. So he's singing. Yes, yes, he's singing that uh, song from from his video from from last year, and uh, he has said that if he wins Britain's Got Talent, the money will not go to him; it will go to uh, charities that handle spousal abuse. And once again, here we have a celebrity who is kind of known now for singing this wee song, going on a talent show with like ordinary people. Do you think that's fair, Gavin Broom, even if it's for charity? Well, the charity part of it does uh, have some some weight obviously but no I, th- I think it's the same thing yeah and does it sway the judges to keep him on right yeah I, again i think britain's got talent is for people who have dogs that can walk on tight ropes <laughs> dance troops m- magicians ventriloquists but people that that are kind of everyday people people right. like you and i Mm-hmm. You going on and singing a song yeah. is different than a celebrity going on and singing a song. The kids surely. are always hounding me that I should go on The Voice. I don't want to go on The Voice, though. <laughs> no, don't go on The Voice. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It, I think it's against the spirit of the show. Mm. And I, guess, I think it's against the spirit of all talent shows. It's mm. like, fuck, it's a terrible example, but imagine if Bono went on The Voice <laughs> and nobody turned around. <laughs> Oh, that would be great. See, that's kind of... <laughs> oh, God, that would be hilarious. That's defeating my point, but... <laughs> I kind of want to see that. But, but, right, me too. I'm just going to shut up then. I obviously don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think these talent shows aren't for people who have already demonstrated they've got talent and right. been paid for it. Yes. Yeah. Even if it's for charity. Even if it's for charity. Yeah. Just give the money to charity. Right, yeah. yeah. There must be some other way to raise awareness and stuff mm-hmm. anyway that's Corey news no oh, i'm disappointed what <laughs> and now we'll <sighs> podcast for coffee <laughs> thank you to welsh jackie thank you welsh jackie Happy New Year, says Jackie Bitley. I know. Thanks for continuing to make cleaning toilets bearable. <laughs> you are so <laughs> Very welcome. welcome. And thank you for buying us our coffees this week, Jackie. I'm drinking mine out of the, the Bannerhead Talk of the Street mug. Yes, and I'm, I'm drinking out of my I Turtley Love You mug, which is shaped like a turtle. It is my favourite mug of all time. Is that a new one? That I bought for myself. <laughs> <laughs> We have too many Be- mugs. Because it's shaped like a turtle. We need to get rid of some of these mugs. Well, I keep 
I keep trying to slyly give some of the ones, some of the older ones to, to Nick, but then he keeps moving back in and they come back. Mm. That's not happening anymore. <laughs> no. We've put, a, we've put a full stop at the end of that. Yeah, so some of those Star Wars mugs will be going back to, to Nick's house again soon. Okay, good. Because so. we're in the space. Yeah. Too yeah. many glasses, too the, many mugs. The, the mugs and the glasses have kind of taken over the, the plates and bowls. They've spread into the, pa- the plates and <laughs> bowls. Yep. yep. They've osmosis to their way. Right. Through the wood. Yeah, but one day when Stella and I were at Goodwill, I saw this and I was like, we have too many mugs, but I have to have this because it's shaped like a turtle. It looks like a good soup mug. Yes. Mm. All of my coffee mugs. <laughs> Would be your soup mugs. Seen a pattern here. Because they're massive. All this distracts from uh, the donation from Jackie. So thank you very much, Jackie. We really appreciate it. If you want to buy us next week's coffee, you can go to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very appreciative, won't we? Yes, we will. And now our new section of YouTubes. What? YouTube, we did this last week, remember? Did we? Hmm. This is news of what's new on our YouTube channel this week. <laughs> and this week's YouTube YouTube is a superb cut of the lead up to Roy and Haley's wedding. Mm. So it's all the scenes for the like couple of weeks that lead up to the wedding. It's actually a, it's one of my favourites because mm-hmm. it ends with the wedding so well. And the wedding kind of goes wrong and then it all goes right Right. in the end. And Les Battersby's got horrible transphobic uh, ideas and philosophies that he shares with everyone. Right. But gets his comeuppance in the end as well. So by all means, have a little check out of that. And there's also also started doing a a clip of the day, one of my favourite parts of uh, the episodes as they drop. So just pick a scene. And add that to our YouTube channel. So this week I've added Mary's murderous Tracy fantasy mm-hmm. and uh, Craig being told to get a life. So those two have been added as well. We had a great response from from people, from our listeners last week and a number of subscribers have shot up. So we're getting tentatively close to that 100 subscribers that I'm really uh, aiming for and setting for our target. So please go to YouTube, search for the Talk of the Street podcast or go to the link in our Twitter bio or the clicky-clicky section of voggle.co.uk, smash that subscribe button, and then piss all over the bell to get notifications of when new videos will drop. I believe, piss, I believe that's what the piss terminology Piss all over the is. bell. Smash subscribe. Well, smash, yes. Piss on the bell. No. And now, this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Senior Muppet. Is this Steve related? That's right. This was Sally's reaction to Tim's suggestion of moving to Spain with Faye. Why was he going to move to Spain? Uh, to keep Faye out of prison. That's right. That's right. And, and, you'd, and you'd think that Sally would be all up for a move to Spain because it would be fancier than Manchester. Yeah, she's got her eyes on Cheshire and nothing is going to better that, I don't think. Ugh. I was Gavin and you didn't catch a word of Timbot 4000 wishing himself a happy my birthday. 
and then you were leaving on a jet plane. Remember Timbuk 4000? Yeah, I haven't hit that button in a while. No. I have no idea where it is. Yes, I was leaving on a jet plane to come home. That's right. And here I am. <laughs> happy returns. Yes, many happy returns. It was a last from the bathtub session. Yes. It was move day on the street, the occupants of numbers 4, 6 and 8 getting ready to flip, but the reintroduction of a friendly gangster may put the kibosh on the whole deal. Yasmin finds that getting back into the swing of her old life takes more than a couple of pep talks from Alia and Tim's mum. Gail's freedom from the tyranny of David means cleaning a factory and making eggs and soldiers for Nick, and then David. Gemma and Chesney's eternal money woes worsen. That's continues for a while then, hasn't it? Yes, it As has. As Kirk's loan of Christmas money needs repaid, and Sean's contemptible journey to homeownership makes him an even worse human being than normal. Yeah, and Michael, he still doesn't own a house. Nope, and he's still horrible. Yes. Michael turns to his big book of harebrained schemes in an attempt to prevent Grace and his unborn baby moving 100 miles along the M62. Tim's mum tells a sad story about sausages. Aggie needs a foot rub. No one fixes the heating in the bistro. And Ray had better call Saul. Our moment of the week was Faye confessing to the police that she twatted Adam. And a boring moment of the week was Chesney and Gemma being skint. Again. Again, again. And again. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Oh, our first storyline this morning is our last storyline this morning. So our next storyline this morning is Sucks to be Joseph. <laughs> Poor kid. How much does it suck to be Joseph? Uh, too much. Poor wee thing. On Monday, Chesney is making a fuss of Joseph who isn't interested and runs up the stairs for a bath. Chesney reveals to Bernie that he's worried Joseph will do another flip. And plus he has the police coming round later for a follow-up interview. Dum dum dum. So a copper turns up to question Joseph about his disappearance, but he sticks to the story that agreed with Hope. Joseph goes upstairs to top up his bath with hot water, which the copper very clumsily accuses Chesney of manufacturing the disappearance to pocket the reward money. Which is just so convoluted because everybody, everybody... Puts, everybody tries to scrape together a reward. None of the money came from from them, obviously, because they are skin. I I'm I'm questioning I'm questioning the the amounts here of the, of that reward. Seemed a bit hefty. Well, no, the fact that the the cop says it was thirty grand. Yeah, we know twenty nine grand came from Yasmin. And yet Dev also put in three grand and some other people put in money. So that's over 30 grand. Oh, I'm not questioning the math on this. I don't really care. But the fact that... Well, the show should care and, and, and be consistent is the, what I'm saying. The fact that that Dev put in three grand, uh-huh. that sounds like that should be it. Because the Joseph was only missing, not even for 24 hours. Oh, no, it was 24 hours. Well, just. It seemed like an awful lot of money to be put in there very quickly yep. and then and then for him suddenly be to be found i don't know it seemed like an awful lot of money to be right to be but one of up. them was like a secret anonymous donation in a bag i don't know if that's yasmin or not yet we know it's yasmin we think it is yeah yasmin confirmed it to alia did she yeah i don't think she did anyway it just if if my kid had gone missing for over 24 hours, for overnight, you know, in in January even, and had been safely returned, 
if like the next day a police officer came and started accusing me of of making it up, mm-hmm. I probably would react the same way Chesney did. I don't think Chesney was unreasonable here. No, Get no, the he, fuck he out gets, of my house, he bellows. He gets unreasonable later, but here I don't think he's unreasonable at all. Yeah. So he tells her to get out of the house, even and all, says the cover, and she leaves. Yes. Yes, it's a, it's a horrible... It's a lady cop. Lady cop. Well, DS Fringe was occasionally horrible as well, so lady so cops can also be horrible. And devs, we learn that he threw three grand into Joseph Fund too. Gemma and Bernie are blown away by this. Dev uses his goodwill to ask Bernie out, but for some reason, and despite Gemma's affirmative nods, Bernie gives Dev a rain check on that. <laughs> Gemma's facial expressions during this whole exchange between Dev and her mum are just hilarious. Yep. She is such a good actor when it comes to just physical comedy. We'll see more of Gemma's facial expressions later. Yes. With some Tunnock's caramel wafers. Yes. At home, Bernie goes off for a shite while Joseph and Hope discuss what they're going to do with the money. Hope has bought a shitload of sweeties to resell and reminds Joseph that the money is a secret. That's but, our hope. Yep. Bernie Such a comes, good businessman. Bernie comes down from her shite and demands to know what the secret is. And she goes to work on the two of them and Joseph blurts out that Hope has hundreds of sweeties. Quick thinking Hope explains that these were a gift from Tyrone and Fizz isn't to find out about it. The guilt of a divorced dad makes perfect sense to Bernie and she lets it go. Bernie takes Joseph to Nina's Rolls and they have a chat about the trainers he wants that conveniently cost a hundred quid because that's how much he got from Curtis. Right. Not Curtis. Clint. Clint. I have a, a Faye Amy thing going on with Curtis and Clint. Think Eastwood and a famous Curtis. <laughs> Do we know a famous... Uh, Curtis Mayfield. So think Eastwood and Mayfield. That's just going to confuse me further. <laughs> Bernie asks what's more important His trainers are putting food in eight bellies for a week Trainers, says Joseph Yes, as as he should Because he is a child yes. Back home Gemma's worried about not being able to afford Joseph's trainers As she goes to explain this to him She stands on his tablet and shatters the screen Oh fucking great, says Joseph Not only can't I get new things, you break my old things Yeah, well it shouldn't be on the floor, kid Under a blanket And he storms off to get a very angry bath <laughs> I'll go get the cell tape, says Bernie, which I thought was just genius. That was hilarious. All right, cell tape time. Bernie goes to see Dev about getting some scraps. Dev promises to set up some garbage out the back labelled Bernie's bin food. Dev likes this tenacious side of Bernie, doing anything for a family. And so the two of them winch. Proper winch. Proper winch. Not just Christmas winch. Yes. Proper winch. Yes. On Wednesday, Chesney is writing to the school so Joseph can borrow a school laptop. Bernie is appalled. They're called crap tops for a reason. This is just one more reason for Joseph to get bullied. Well, I've written the letter now, says Ches. But see, this astounds me, especially, you know, after our pandemic years, because, you know, there were lots of grants and stuff sent out to schools to get new Chromebooks for kids who are remote learning. Yep. So... They should have. They should have upped it because the way that they talk about this is is not is not that the he has to use a school laptop. It's like a school desktop. He has to sit in the back at a school desktop <laughs> computer. How poor is Bessie Street School? And he has to do it in his vest and underpants as well. <laughs> poor Joseph. Between this and having to, you know, having to pay for a a, a field trip the other week. It mm-hmm. just, it, 
and and another storyline that's coming up. This doesn't say much for the British school public school systems. English. Well, England is part of Great School, Britain. Yeah? Schools are devolved. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yes, so, because Scottish schools are so much better. They from, have a very good reputation. Yes, from all the lovely stories you've told me about growing up and and, and your days at school, smoking out the back. Yeah. <laughs> Not saying that my school was particularly good, Stealing but schools TVs. in general. So, what I'd like to focus on, though, is the fact that Chesney's written a letter. Joseph is appalled. Bernie is appalled. Mm-hmm. Chesney kind of comes round and sees that, yeah, there's reason to be appalled here. But he's going to send a letter anyway because he's written it now. Right. And because the kid needs a <sighs> a tablet for school? Like he uses why, his tablet. Why, are they, why are they using tablets at school with no keyboard? What? Where are the Chromebooks or the tiny laptops? And they a have tablet. to do all of this in their vest and underpants as well. <laughs> so Bernie meets up with Dev, who's due to meet Clint later to hand over the reward. Dev's dick seems to be a put out a joint when he learns that Bernie and Clint have a bit of a history together. So he's fairly blunt when Bernie asks for a hookup later. Maybe's I, maybe's no, says Dev. Meanwhile, Hope checks to see if Joseph has bought his trainers yet. Joseph doesn't feel right about using the money and thinks Ches will find out. In that case, can I have your cash, says Hope. (laughs) Which is a very Hope thing to say, but also, come on, Hope. And then Scottish Mindy from the Weather Gazette turns up to interview Chesney about Joseph's disappearance. She'd also love to update the readers on the quads. The readers loved the quad stories. Right. It's the quad father. It's the quad father. Chesney tells her to fuck off, but Bernie invites her in for a cuppa, reckoning there might be a payday here. I'm glad that uh, they use that they use different journalists this week, and it's not just uh, the one who's been on constantly right. lately. It's it's this one. Chris. And, yeah. So we don't see Chris. We see two of the other. All of them ladies. No men go into journalism. No, reporters. no men go into journalism except for Daniel. To use their wiles to get the story. Ooh. So, so Bernie and Chesney. I don't know what that means. No idea. So Bernie and Chesney. <laughs> they answer Mindy's questions and it comes out that Bernie and Clint are old friends and will be turning up to Dev's later to collect his reward. Mindy also manages to establish Dev as Bernie's partner, and once she has her story, she reveals that they don't pay for stories, only features. Maybe establish that before talking to them, Bernie. So Mindy interviews a very happy Clint. She wants Dev and his partner in the pick too, but Dev is still butthurt about Bernie chagging Clint, so says that she's not his partner, and with her tail between her legs... Bernie sadly slinks off. Dev, though, is very keen to get in the photograph. Right, yes, he even does a, a point at Chesney thing. Like, ah, look, it's the quad father. Mm-hmm. His kid went missing. Look, ah. That's how you know that someone is really comfortable in a photograph, as if they're pointing at something, <laughs> preferably someone else, yeah. who is less comfortable. And especially if you're pointing, like, with a gun, with their thumb up, instead of just pointing you have your thumb up like this and you're pointing at somebody that's real confidence right thank you for demonstrating for thumb up how that changes the picture <laughs> Dev finds her in the rovers and she is furious that he's disowned her again he claims that he doesn't know where he stands with her because she's always quick just to call him a pal or a mate but this cuts no dice and bernie leaves then joseph gets home in a bad mood the teacher sent him to the back of the class with all the ancient computers and Callum. <coughs> Was Desktops. Quick, 
Just yes. a, you just imagine cobwebs all over them and, <laughs> and like smell the, that there's a, a mousey's nest like somewhere big, in here getting burnt. Like the big chunky monitors. Oh yeah, or like those uh, those those IMAX from from the nineties with the with the clear the colored, Bondi blue ones. Yes. Oh, oh, I coveted the Bondi blue ones. I wanted an orange one so bad when oh. I was a kid. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to get one. Me neither. I was thinking more just uh, rather than it being a, a colour screen, it would just be one of those green tube ones. Right. You know, that everything's a shade of green on it. And he can only play Oregon Trail on it. <laughs> Minesweeper. Was it Minesweeper? Minesweeper. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> yeah. So he's sent to the back of the class and Callum was quick to call him a povo again. Not even the thought of a bath or tinned tomato sandwiches is enough to put a smile on his wee face. With everyone else occupied, Joseph takes the money from his bag and is putting it in the house money pot when Bernie walks in and sees him. Can I not catch a fucking break here, says Joseph. Bernie thinks he's stealing, but Joseph was putting money in. She demands to know what's going on. Isn't this lovely a Joseph? Yes. He knows how how desperate for money the family the is. Family, because they always are. Right. So he has Even though we have quid. three adults with full-time jobs. And he's trying to sneak it in here, sneak the money in, right. thinking that nobody's going to know. There's a hundred quid that I didn't, I didn't know existed. Hmm. So Clint is at Dev's where, after a fashion and some ineffective bargaining to get five hundred quid in cash from the till, Dev executes the transfer. Benny sticks her head in, angry and demanding I'm, a word with Clint. I'm impressed. Clint has a bank account. Yeah. I, I thought that was going to be the issue, is that he doesn't have a bank account because he doesn't pay taxes because he's an anarchist. Mm-hmm. Did you see how Dave transferred the money? It was by hitting the space bar on his laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what did it. Clint plays dumb, but it has to come clean. He didn't find Joseph after all, but he did find him on the way home and he did make sure that he got home. So right, technically yeah. speaking, he did do something. He did help. He insists that he made sure that he got home, so his conscience is clear. Yes, yeah, says Benny, let's see if the cops agree with that. And she heads off until Clint offers her half. He thinks that there isn't a victim here. Everyone's a winner. Benny says Clint is a thief, and she isn't. And so she leaves him to it. Benny walks into Finchesney looking for a second job to help make ends meet, and also to sell his car. Gemma thinks that she needs Chesney in the house to help every now and again, and she needs the car to go and do her uh, big shop and stuff. Bernie slinks out, looking like she may have changed her mind about going halfers. So Dev finds Bernie on Maxine's bench, sending a text to help Gemma and Chesney. Dev thinks that they need to talk. So they go to the bistro. Dev has found out that despite being skint, Bernie has won a bid on a tablet for Joseph. Dev apologises for earlier and would like to call her his partner. They don't work on paper. Damn right they don't work on paper. They really but don't. paper isn't worth the paper it's written on, says Dev. They click. And Bernie agrees with a smile as she ignores a shifty-looking Clint at the bar. They click because the show is running out of single people. <laughs> well, and there are people who click less. Mm, he, He's right, this shouldn't work on paper. <laughs> this shouldn't work on paper. I kind of like the two of them together. I do, I do too. You know, it, 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 it feels like the show just, as I said, kind of shoved two single people together because we're running out of single people. But they do work. And it's like in, they're taking Bernie seriously in the exact same way that they're not taking Mary seriously. Yes. 
which is nice. That a woman of a certain age finds right romance. Yeah. That we're not allowing Mary to have. Right. Yeah. Because Mary and Dev would make sense because Mary has lived in Dev's house for a long time and helped raise his children. And she practically sees them as already as her children. So, But I think therein lies the problem that she looks at th- that whole unit as being her family. Right. So therefore, her and Dev would be a bit... Yeah. Anyway, anyway, this brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. There is 32,000 floating around on the street. So where do we think it's ultimately going to end up? Is it going to be Hope's Sweetie Empire? Eight grand each for the quads. In other words, Joseph gets fuck all out of it. <laughs> Fill with two L's roof or 320 pairs of trainers. I, I, I picked the Sweetie Empire. And you were correct to do so. That yeah. one with 33.3% of the vote. Eight grand each for the quads got 31%. Fill with two L's roof, 28.6%. And 320 pairs of trainers at 100 quid each, 7.1%. You know, it kind of feels like whatever is on the bottom of the list gets the fewest votes. That like people see something else that's funny or that they like and they click before they finish reading the whole list. Even though it's only four things. It should be five Twitter. Fix it. I agree. I tend to try and make the last one the kind of jokey one. Uh And sometimes it wins and sometimes it doesn't. Right. Well, the Sweetie Empire is kind of jokey as well. They're all kind of jokey, aren't they? Filled with two L's roof. That's See, not really that, that, funny. That's, that's kind, kind of just thrown getting, in. getting her, uh, her hands on it. Yeah. Because this is, seems like a conveniently large amount of money that she could use to right. put a down payment on something. No, but don't you remember that that house is worth a, 175k? Oh, yeah, there's no... There's no mortgage to pay off, so no. that's all profit. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, moving on to Friday. Gemma has lost Kerasi's trousers. Ginger Bryn is silent on the matter. <laughs> Bernie comes in to learn that the social will be coming round later and suggests that now she's back with Dev and has something to celebrate, she can take everyone out for tea. No one is in the mood and Gemma is a bit sus of where Bernie suddenly has money for that and she pretends that she got a raise mm-hmm. as well as her hole from Dev. Right. Nice to see... Which wouldn't necessarily be ethical, but never mind. Nice to see another quad. Yes. yes or was I it was the same say, quad with the hair combed differently? It's not, because Alan's not ginger. He's got blonde hair. Yeah. So that is a different kid. Not babies. No. They're, they're two. Yeah. <laughs> that was two years ago. Right. That ridiculous storyline in the cable car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was two years ago. Yes, it was. Eesh. At Nina's Rolls, Bernie and Dev drive Roy mental by arguing over who gets to pay for their coffees. Bernie tells Dev how worried she is about Chez and he reckons he can help with a nice big bag of best before groceries that he was going to throw out anyway. So Dev comes along to the house with two bags full of stuff that was going to get chucked. There's tunnocks and everything. Gemma's eyes practically pop out of her head. That, that, that waivers package though did not look like a tunnocks waivers package. It looked pink, not red and gold. Yeah, I don't think that was the the package that she pulled out. Chesney comes <laughs> in like that. and is furious about this. He doesn't need Dev's charity, so he sends Dev packing, much to Gemma's ire. Yeah, to, and mine. <laughs> just as it Fuck you, Chesney. So we face. Fuck you. Our wee face just drops. Just let Gemma <gasps> have some waivers. I want my biscuits. Right? Just let her have some joy, Chesney. She's obviously not getting any from you. Right. 
Gemma chases after Dev and takes the bags back, but Chesney is right behind and snatches them back from her, and they spill onto the cobbles. The pack of tunnocks camel wavers falling at the feet of the bloke from the social. Is this a good time? He asks. Yes. It's been a bad day, says Bernie. Gemma says they usually spend most of their time hugging each other. <laughs> Which wouldn't be creepy at all. No. Chesney loudly declares that he works his fingers to the fucking bone for this family. Calm down, says Bernie. Fucking do one, says Ches. In the house, the social worker guy thinks there's a risk that Joseph will run away again, albeit low. Everyone seems to be struggling and Joseph feels like an outsider from what he said. Mm-hmm. So he recommends a volunteer to come and support them. He leaves and Chesney tells how he really feels. It's impossible to give Joseph the intention he needs because of the quads. Mm-hmm. This isn't the quads' fault. No. And also, the quads are yours. Right. Because the way that he seemed to be pitching this was, right. this is all Gemma's fault, basically. Right, yes. Because it, it could never, could never be Chesney's fault. Right. Oh, he's so loathsome. He really human is. Being. <laughs> we should have known from that very first time he hit himself with a brick. Right. In the pub, Bernie meets Clint, who announces that he's bought himself a, fan- <laughs> a fancy camper van. All Bernie wants to do is the right thing by her family. So later, Joseph comes down from his bath to make sure that he's not in trouble and no one's going to prison. Gemma goes to pick up the quads from Paul and give Ches and Joseph some quality time on their own to play Thunderbirds. I love you, Gemma. Thunderbirds, go! I love you, Gemma, says Joseph. I love you, Joseph, says Gemma. I love you too, says Chesney. <laughs> and and then, that's the end of that story. And then Gemma leaves with the with the quads and, and Joseph shouts, Thunderbirds, go! Which was adorable. It, Thunderbirds is like a cartoon from the 70s, isn't it? It's, a, the what? it's a what? Isn't it a cartoon? It's a what? It's a live action show, isn't it? It's a what? It's a puppet show. <laughs> They're all puppets. That's right. Yeah, but it's not a show cartoon. that's on anymore. He was watching it earlier on. You right. saw Thunderbird 2 taken off. Right. Thunderbird 2 was my favourite. And those, like, video cassettes that he's watching. It looks like it was a VHS, yeah. Yes. But, which, I guess, is in keeping. That's really cute, though, that he's into Thunderbirds. See, Thunderbirds never really goes away. It always comes round again. Give it ten years and it'll be the biggest thing once more. And it used to be thanks to Blue Peter, because Blue Peter would make Tracy Island out of uh, discarded syringes and and bits (laughs) of cardboard and sticky back plastic. And that would get all the kids really into Thunderbirds again. Right. So Thunderbirds never really goes away. Yeah. I was going to say it's it's like, you know, our kids watching G.I. Joe and Thundercats, but our our daughter walks around in a fedora and, and listens to... Jazz trombone. <laughs> Fred, Frank Sinatra records on vinyl. So I don't know if we're the... And all our crushes are men 50 years and older, except for Andrew Garfield. So... Hmm. Maybe we're not the best. <laughs> yeah. Just pick your battles. <laughs> so Joseph is adorable. Yes, and, and gets more airtime and more acting time, and and I'm I like that. You know, yeah, I last, last week isn't a fluke. No. Yeah, it's it's good. You know, and it seems like all the kids, all the kids get their moments to shine practically this week, except for I guess Hope and Ruby. 
And um, no, Max, she's not really a kid, though. Max, is he? Well, yes, I guess he's a kid. yes. If we're counting Amy and Asha true. as kids, then Max is still a kid. Mm-hmm. And Max's sister, what's her name? Lily. Yeah, Lily still Haven't recovering from Lily. that time that she nearly killed Sam, or that Sam nearly killed her. You mean? Because she was oh, yes, she was yes. the one choking on the lolly. Yeah, that's right. Oh dear. Bernie is, you know, she's had her ups and downs in the show and to the extent where they had to send her away for a couple of months and then bring her back, kind of reinvented. Right. In a much better way where she was, we'd kind of decided what she was going to be now because you remember mm-hmm. at the start she, was, she wasn't one thing and she wasn't another thing and she was trying to be like, All things. and a bit of a rogue and a bit of a, a scoundrel and the hippie and the, the star child and all that. And she's a bit more grounded now. Yes. But she's so desperate to try and do the right thing for her family. Right. It's kind of reminiscent of Evelyn a little bit now that she's got her feet under the table. It's all about putting money into that tin. Yes. A la bread from the 1980s. Yeah. Oh, don't even talk about bread. We'll get to bread in another storyline. But, um... <laughs> yes, we will. A different kind of bread. But, yeah, it's... It's interesting because you can you can tell that Chesney's upbringing, while it you know he wasn't, it wasn't born, great. It, yeah, it wasn't great, and he wasn't born in a mansion. It was, it was better than than Gemma's at least financially wise. You can you can tell that Gemma and and Bernie know, you know, kind of the ins and outs of being so desperately poor that you're not necessarily ashamed to take a handout from a friend. Right. You know, it's not like some stranger knocked on the door and, and handed them something. Dev is practically family. Right. And that's what he said. He doesn't think of Ches as a son, but he thinks very, very fondly of Right. Him. Yeah. Because he's got Chesney kind of running his empire for All him. All three of them work for, for Dev. So it's more or less his fault that they're so skinned. <laughs> right. But because, yeah, it comes round with the the bag of groceries. Look, I'm throwing these out. Right, and it's not like it's not like they're they've gone bad because they no. haven't gone bad at all. No, they're just at their their best before date. Right, and people think best before means bad after, and it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You know, it's not like you know what Bernie was talking about having to eat the mold off the jam because it was medicine. Or right. eat the mold with the jam instead of scraping the mold off the jam, yeah. which is what you should do. You get your penicillin. Right. Yeah. Chesney's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a TLDR on that one. Hmm. Okay, our next storyline this morning is Viral you said Summer. TLDR. I did. You're, you're I'm so up with the, the kids. kids. No, down with the kids. Remember? Smashing that subscribe button, <laughs> pissing on the bell. Viral Summer. On Monday, Ash and Addy meet Summer at the bus stop and chat about the upskirt thing. Amy comes along and announces that she's done research and there's no shortage of girls who've been photoed, groped or verbally abused at school. Kind of shocking. Something has to be done. Summer doesn't want any attention drawn to her situation because of Oxford. <clears throat> but Amy looks difficult to dissuade. So later at school, Addy reckons Amy has gone full Greta Thunberg as she paints Mr Osborne as a fanny. Stop protecting sex offenders on the school wall. Mrs Croshaw comes along, is not amused and drags Amy away to call her parents. Amy's parents, not Mrs Croshaw's parents. They're likely dead. 
Tracy has been called to the school for a dressing down from Crawshaw. Tracy is on Amy's side to begin with, thinking something should be done about these spotty virgins up Scott and girls at school. <clears throat> Max, Crawshaw is unmoved and Amy is suspended. Later, Amy and Tracy get back to the street and tell Summer, Ash and Addy that she's been suspended. Tracy gets thrown into Summer, saying that she's causing no end of problems with her family. Why didn't she just grow up here and report the fucking incident in the first place? Yes. There are procedures for this sort of thing, after all. There is. So Amy meets up with a gang later at Speedal, and Summer comes in to announce that she's taken a stand and posted an open letter on Instagram. <laughs> and at that point, I'm like... Ugh. Almost just, like throwing just, something at the screen. I've written an open letter and I've posted go, it on Instagram. Go. What the fuck? Why has she not gone to Mrs. Crashaw and said, Hi, yes, this has happened to me. I'd like to report this. <laughs> Instead of, I mean, it, the, it's the, the open letter is fine, but. No, it's not. It's fake action. But also go and report it. Right. You know? Do something more than just write a letter on Instagram because it, it, even if you tag the school, there's a possibility that the school's not going to see it or the school is going to have it taken down. Right. No one's going to read this except if it's in a soap. So anyway. Right. Yeah. There are too many words in it. There are far too many words in it. Nobody reads anything on Instagram. Instagram is pictures. Did she take? Did she write a letter and then take a picture of the letter and then post it? Yes. Either way, this Instagram is all... Instagram is not the place for this. This is all big wows. And then she has the audacity to f- be worried that this is going to affect her place at Oxford. Fucking hell, Summer. Jesus. And, and, and Amy says, no, you know, this is this is how people get into college these days right. by by posting things on social media and, and protesting stuff. On, on Wednesday, Summer, whose nightwear choices are about as hideous as her daytime ones, gets up to find Billy cock-a-hoop. He announces that her open letter to the school on Instagram has inexplicably gone viral and been shared 10 billion times. <laughs> He's so proud of her. Yes. I like her strawberry pyjamas, though. Ugh. Summer goes round <laughs> to see Amy, who is well impressed. It's like, I'm just surprised that she doesn't go to bed in dungarees. <laughs> Summer goes round to see Amy, who is well impressed. Tracy is so thrilled that Summer finally got off her arse and did something, but not really. Then Summer gets a text from Miss Crawshaw, who's on her way to see her right now at the flat, so Summer and Amy head off. So Miss Crawshaw takes note... Oh, it's Missy? I think it's Missy, isn't it? <clears throat> takes note of Summer's account and promises to take it to the governor's meeting where, if Brian can stop vomiting on them for five minutes, <laughs> they will make a policy change. Oh, and Amy, yes, Miss Crawshaw, you're still suspended. Pig's tits, says Amy. Right. Because she did deface school property. That's why she got suspended. It, it's not the message. It's how she delivered the message that's yeah. the problem. She did that graffiti on Monday. It was still there on Friday. Amy and Summer get back to number one just as they both get a text with a new school policy. Girls are advised to wear shorts under their skirts. Summer calls this victim blaming. Amy wants to take the protest to the next level and fuck their uni placements. Summer worries that fucking her uni placement will affect her placement at uni. Bring this school to its knees, screams Tracy, who is also there and appalled. Right, and I'm appalled as well. That That is a bullshit thing. Yeah. You know, if, if it... it and it's sadly, though, it's very believable. It is very believable. Again, you know, our our daughter has to do a fingertip test in order to be able to wear shorts to school. And, and that's to wear shorts. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> really? Right. Not a skirt. Yeah. To wear shorts. Right. 
Yeah. So it's believable, but it's just, you'd think that they would have put something else in there about we're we're looking into it and we're going to find the guys who did this instead of just, we advise girls to wear shorts underneath their skirts. Well, we find out that there's been a little bit of a, a clash in communication here. Yes. On Friday at school, Mrs. Crawshaw decides to sit in on Daniel's next lesson. They chat about the upskirt and stuff and Daniel reveals that he thinks the school could be doing more. Crawshaw insists that the shorts thing was only meant to be a short-term fix until they work out something more permanent. All right, says Daniel, helpfully. Hmm. Daniel's pupils don't come in after the bell, so he and Crawshaw go outside and find the class have taped over their mouths with black duct tape and are carrying uh, pithy placards, demanding action and refusing to go back to class. Daniel slinks off and tips off the Weather Gazette. Meanwhile, Amy drops a card revealing basement, medicine, pavement, government and Merry Christmas. Do you think lots of people are going to get that joke that it's a Bob Dylan video? I think one person's going to get that joke, which makes it worthwhile. Yeah, and I am that one person. <laughs> but what's the Merry Christmas at the end? Because that's not from the Bob Dylan video, is it, Helen? No, that's from Love Actually. Yes, it is. So see, there's a, there's a twofer there. There's a twofer joke. Like one of that the one worst. Joke. What are the worst scenes in a terrible movie? Yes, it is. What are the worst scenes in a, <laughs> and it's a terrible, terrible movie? movie. It's a terrible it's a scene. Terrible movie. In a terrible movie. It's almost like uh, John Cusack in Say Anything, lifting yeah. up that boombox mm-hmm. in a in a in a community in a neighborhood and blasting it outside the house of a girl who's already rejected him. Right. God. How, how did any men survive the eighties as decent human beings? Later. Or the nineties. Later. Say it properly. How did any men from the 80s or 90s, or the 1990s... There we go. <laughs> Later, Daniel tells Crawshaw that the kids need a pledge, something tangible, maybe a consent workshop. And just at that, the Weather Gazette shows up, so Crawshaw follows Daniel's advice and off-the-cuff pledges that everyone will go through a consent workshop and she'll be accountable and Amy isn't suspended anymore. Huzzah, say the kids. Yes, and it's... And this is not Chris from the Weather Gazette as well. It's uh, Uzi Umi. Suki. Suki. There we go. Suki. Suki Suki. Our last name Suki as well? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the young crew go to celebrate their win at Speed Dial. Daniel comes in and congratulates them, making sure that they he says enough so that they assume that he was the one who tipped off the press. Shut up, Daniel. Right. He hasn't seen anything yet, says Amy, ominously. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I enjoyed this storyline, though. I, I did. There were lots of token mentions of uh, of feminists of yore. Right. Like Tracy hilariously telling Amy that she doesn't want her to get trampled by horses at the races. Billy's at it as well. He calls some are Manchester's own Emerald Pankhurst. And then Who's Summer has to point Manchester. out that Emily Peckers is from it. Yeah. 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 I, you know, yeah. I, again, like you, I'm, I'm really just tired of, of people writing things online on the show and them instantly going viral. It needs to stop. You know. <laughs> and, it's not, and it's not just a Coronation Street problem. No. It is, it is a, it is a movie and TV problem. I mean, one of the, 
issues that I had with with Don't Look Up is that they say, oh, nobody watched nobody watched your segment on this television show. And yet you've become an Internet meme overnight. Right. Sort of thing. Yeah. Well, you can't be both. <laughs> no, you can't be both. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, I mean, I think they just know how to seem. We've joked before about their SEO reach. Right. And I think this is it's still true. Yeah. I mean, for 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 onesies, you're right, the, the method of communication of this through Instagram doesn't seem to be the best place for it. To just go and speak to the headmaster. If she did a video as opposed to an open letter, right. that would make sense on Instagram. Because Instagram is a visual the social media. The phrase open media. letter though just makes you roll your eyes. Right, yeah. That's just, something you send to the New York just, Times right, summer. Right. But I think it's a it's a really worthy storyline. You know, I've, I've, mm-hmm. I think that is as a as an education piece, this is this is great. I don't think they're making so much of a big deal right. that that's what they're doing. Yeah, they're not doing it for like shock value. No, which they have done with so many other storylines of young women getting sexually abused in some way. Right, this has been done for the right reasons, and I, and I thought that the visual of all the kids standing with their, uh, their, faces, over their faces, their, their mouths yeah. taped over, was really effective. Yeah. And, and gave me a little bit of goosebumps and has given me a little bit of goosebumps uh, thinking about it. So mm-hmm. from that point of view, I really liked it. it. It made me annoyed with Summer, which I quite enjoy being annoyed with Summer. And mm-hmm. it made me annoyed with Daniel, which makes me happy because mm-hmm. I like being annoyed with Daniel. And Crawshaw is kind of a fun character as because she's the assistant head, so she's not the, the ultimate head but she seems right. to be the one that's getting involved in everything because right. she's the whipping boy having all these pupils outside their class and having the press turn up still wasn't enough to coax the headmaster from or headmistress from his or her right yeah. office Crusher's so the whipping Crusher. boy and uh and yeah i'm i'm enjoying her continued involvement in in some of these storylines Let's move on then. Our next story this morning is Curry Wars 2, The Return of Curry Wars. <laughs> on Monday, Alia and Zidane drop into speed dial. Yasmin is still in the mood, but Alia points out that this is still her place of work. Fine, says Yasmin, but Zidane, he can still fuck off. He don't work you no more. No. Then there's a wonderful scene in speed dial where Mary is picking up a takeaway for Tracy and explains in fairly detailed terms how she'd like to throttle her boss with her bare hands. Afterwards, Alia tells Yasmin that she knows that... Uh, she donated the money to Joseph's reward fund and how proud she is of her gran. If only I could do the same, says Yasmin, waspishly. Yeah. So she doesn't admit it here, but she doesn't deny it. Right, which is in a minute. What is hilarious to me in the scene is that neither Yasmin nor Alia nor Stu are appalled at what Mary's saying about Tracy. Right. Even Stu, who doesn't know Tracy yet. Doesn't really know Mary. No. Because typically when somebody walks in and says in gross detail about how they'd like to murder their boss, Mm -hmm. you know, step by step. Because Mary doesn't look like she's joking. Yeah. No, she doesn't. (laughs) Because she isn't. You'd think that you'd grow concerned. And yet. And yet. Right. Later, Alia has looked at the work rota and spotted that she and Yasmin aren't working together. Well spotted, says Yasmin. Alia goes off with her tail between her legs and Yasmin finds a note left by Alia and we don't get to see the contents of it but it brings tears to Yasmin's eyes. And then she rips it up. Your curry shite. (laughs) On Wednesday, 
Alien Zidane are searching for a flat. It seems that they think they have to share, which surprises me. It's like, isn't this a good opportunity for you to kind of branch out on your own rather than being brother and sister sharing a flat? Well, if if Craig, who is a professional police officer, and Faye can't, can't find a place on their own with just the two of them... Yeah, but they're how- barely out of school. Alien Zidane are... And Zidane came back with 50 grand in his back pocket. Yeah, which he immediately transferred over to his family hmm. to take care of the th- the thing with Alia getting scammed. I no, <sighs> I just I don't under I don't understand the economics no. of the street at all. Sudan <laughs> lives at homeless Jews working on his own in Speeddale and Yasmin has hired agency staff rather than employ him. So he's working walking to Speeddale when he sees some angry customers storm out and nothing that homeless Stew shouts after them is enough to coax them back inside. It turns out the agency staff didn't show up, and homeless Stew is on his own in the kitchen. Zidane quickly gets his chef And in the front on. of the house. He's doing everything. He's doing everything. Poor he's Stu. the maitre d'. He's the cashier. He's the waiter. He's the He's, the boy. Cook. he's doing everything. That's impossible. Zidane quickly gets his chef whites on and helps out, despite homeless Stew's protest that this isn't what Yasmin wants. And with the afternoon rush survived, Zidane hurries away before Yasmin comes back, but it's too late. What the bloody hell are you doing here? So Yasmin and Zidane argue about Zidane's money laundering exploits loudly that Homeless Stew picks up and he says, <laughs> one of our times Homeless Stew says, I think I better just leave you two to it. Yes. Zidane gives Yasmin a hard time for leaving Homeless Stew on his own and putting this feud ahead of the family. Oh, and by the way, Homeless Stew fancies you. Leanne's arrival quickly ends the argument and they go their separate ways. Later, Homeless Stew apologises to Yasmin for letting Zidane in the kitchen. He offers Yasmin his ear if she wants to talk about it. Yasmin laughs but tells him that she needs to get on. Which wasn't a no. No. But, but Homeless Stew seemed to take it and he as said, such. And he said, okay, well, I'll see you later at home. Because remember, he lives with her now. Right. Leanne follows Zidane to Nina's roles and offers her ear to help because she's fucking nosy. She also offers him a job at the bistro, but he thinks Yasmin is angry enough without him going to work for the rivals. Well, and also because she has an attachment to to Zidane and Alia through their dad. Yes. The dead dad. Who is now dead. Yes. And who she mentions. She offers him a job Mm -hmm. and he turns it down. I said that. Well, I know. He turns down, he's been complaining that there are no jobs on offer, that there are no jobs anywhere. And yet when one is just put in his lap, he refuses it because he seems to think that Speed Doll and the Bistro are competitors. Well, Debbie tried to make it out that they were, remember? Right, but they're not because no. they really don't serve the same kind of food. And one is a bit more casual than the other. It would be fine. I don't think this is going to make Yasmin even matter. Well, we're never going to find out. But I think he should be just at the point now where, well, tough. He yeah. needs to make a living. Right. Just take the job, see. Mm-hmm. Take the job. You know, and, and that gives that little bit of separation where the family aren't living in each other's back pockets right. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Some of that distance will walk, be helpful. Right? Yeah. But no. No. He didn't. Do you think Yasmin is going to end up forgiving them? I think she's close to forgiving Alia. Yeah, I think she'll forgive Alia a lot faster than she'll forgive Z, which is good because that's how it should be. But then you know what's going to happen. What? <laughs> oh, I don't believe that you really want to know what I think about that. I do. 
I do, sincerely. I, I think... No, I'm sure of it. So I'm just going to spite you and tell you anyway. I think Yasmin's going to find out that Alia murdered, in inverted commas, right. Hashim. Allowed Hashim to die. Yep, which is different. Right, than murdering. Right. Still illegal. Just, just, just like Emma and and Faye did not did not murder Ted. Well, at least he didn't die in front of them. Right, that's true. It's a little different. He died off camera <laughs> in his chair. Yeah. Politely. <laughs> yeah, very politely. What a lovely man. He died so politely. Yes. Don't mind me. I'm just going to sit in my chair and, and, and die off camera as opposed to Hashim who bursts in, makes a big deal out of it. And then dies. Yeah, I was going to make a little video contrasting spoiler for this episode, but Tim's heart attack and compare it to Hashim's. But it wasn't then really a heart Tim's attack, wasn't a heart though. attack, so that's why I didn't do it. Because it was an angina attack. Well, again, we're going to get to that later. And caused by a panic attack. Move on on then. That was a good panic attack that we'll get to. To... Yeah, not now. Because first of all, we've got to talk about Craig's rear end window. Uh, do we have to? Yes, we do. And... And I need to say this up front. Do you think? Do you think Colson Smith has seen Rear Window? Do you think the writers have seen Rear Window? They, Despite the fact, right, Craig being a, a policeman, uh, and uh, you know we we address this within the storyline, but he doesn't. He's not a policeman, right? Just let's say it. He's just not a policeman, and his relationship with Faye is is dreadful. So therefore, he's, he's not really a, a character that I've warmed to particularly. He's kind of annoying more than anything. I really like this. <laughs> I really like his fascination with this crutch. I, it, it brings me so much joy. What I don't understand is, is why the writers thought, now is the time to write a storyline about what everybody was doing during the pandemic, during lockdown. Right. Now is the time to make bread gags. Right. Oh, I enjoyed that as well. Two years after people were locked down and making sourdough all the time. But hey, time. you know what? What am I doing? Suddenly started doing again. I'm making bread again. Right, yeah. But you don't have a sourdough starter. You no. You use a bread machine. I'd use the bread machine just for the making the dough. Right. Just because I'm lazy. It does, and it does a better job of it. But... But yeah, it's but still, you're a real human being. Well, true. I'm not pretending to be a policeman. No. Although I do have good chemistry with Faye. <laughs> so, let's get started then. On Monday, at the young crew in Tyrone's flat, Faye tells Emma that she's not been in the mood for her hole recently. And Craig has been sitting at the window, spying on people and making bread. And hobbles Craig with a set of binoculars because now he's creepy as fuck. Faye seems concerned for Craig's sanity as he watches Cerberus do a shit in the street, but then he panics and demands that she calls the police. There's a man down there attacking Mary with a sword. The police and Craig arrive on the scene and it turns Ugh. out to be just a rehearsal for the Pirates of Penzance. It's called Acton Coulson. I mean, it's called Acton Craig. <laughs> I love you, Coulson. Craig's co-worker thinks Craig needs to find himself a hobby rather than spying on simple weird people. He, does he, is, he's, is he the one who mentions knitting? Yeah. That he should take up knitting? Yeah. And another thing people did in lockdown. Right. 
Craig takes up residence on the couch again as Faye begs him to stop baking bread and get himself a hobby because her knickers are digging in there now. Right, and <laughs> then she that says... pretty funny. And then she says the word macrame in, in, in the oddest way I've ever heard anyone say macrame. Macrame? Yeah, macrame. Yeah, we say macrame. Yeah, but she doesn't even say macrame. She says macrame. <laughs> she like hits every one of those A's. As if they're the most important A in the word. It's it's like that time that we were in Scotland and I was appalled at the way that a commercial for, I think it was Pantene, said Pantene. Pantene. Panatine. Don't say that. That's what it sounded like to my American ears. at all. Or Jaguar. Maybe she's born with it. <laughs> Craig takes up. I've said that. Yeah, Faye begs him to stop baking bread and get himself a hobby. Am I getting on your tits? He asks. Fucking right, you yes, are. Yes, you says are. Faye. <laughs> it's home truths week for, uh, for, <laughs> for Craig. Craig. On Wednesday, at the He's young crew. Appalled that she's honest with him. That's hilarious. At the young crew in Tyrone's flat. Well, they've just moved into this flat. They've been there for like a week, and he's laid up on the couch for a week of it. Right. So it's not really a great introduction to living together, is it? No. And and the fact that he's constantly underfoot and just... I mean, what is Faye doing? Doesn't she work at the factory now? She does. She's in sales. Right. Why is she <clears> never <throat> there? <laughs> because she can go to her job if he's constantly underfoot. Right. At the young crew in Tyrone's flat, Craig asks where Emma got the crutch from. Emma lies and says it was from one of the many charity shops in town. Craig is interested in it because it's been modified and has initials carved in it. Faye tries to distract Craig with a request for more bread, but Craig is determined to find out who owned that crutch. So he's spent his afternoon going round charity shops, but no one remembers anyone handing it in because it's just a crutch, and why would they remember that? And most of these places have, like, buckets that are full of crutches. Right, yeah. Like blossoms, like strange wooden and metal blossoms out of a vase. Right, yeah. Crutches in a bucket. That's kind of poetic, isn't it? And typically, it really is. You should write that. But, um, and also, a lot of these charity places, the people who take the donations and sort the donations are not the people who are doing the retail bit. Right. Tyrone calls Craig a fanny for even trying to find out who owned it, given he thought a samurai was attacking Mary. <laughs> and this renews Craig's spirit, and he bets Tyrone 20 quid that he can find out who owned it. You're on. Oh, for fuck's sake, says Faye. Yes. Imran goes to see Craig because they're running buddies, so it does make sense. And they get chatting about the bet, and Imran suggests that Craig wastes police time by pulling in a favour and getting them to run some forensics on it. Maybe an Oxter print survived, and this will solve the mystery. I, and this is one of the uh, the... Several times that Detective Craig has to rely on Imran and later Roy for little uh, hints as to how to take his investigation forward. Right, yes. Later, Craig goes to the pub to see Faye and Emma. He's crutchless and explains that he sent it to the lab for fingerprint analysis. Faye thinks this is a terrible waste of police time just for 20 quid, and everyone agrees with her, even Craig, but he does not give a solitary shit. No. On Friday, at the young crew in Tyrone's flat, Emma is beating herself up for not wiping the crutch for prints. In comes Craig, who announces the results haven't come back yet, but he is so excited. This will show everyone on the street who doesn't believe on them that he really is a policeman. He really is. Mm -hmm. So shut it. Yes. Craig goes to see Roy and asks his advice on the crutch initials, remembering Roy's mother's ring. 
But not like that. THS points Roy to Trafford Health Service. Maybe the hospital knows. Craig comes in his pants and runs off to investigate. Right. Roy, you're a genius. But don't tell Tyrone nothing that you don't understand about this anyway. No. Back at the flat, Craig has been able to confirm Trafford Health Services was right and he's been on a forum where he's been put in touch with a person who deals with unreturned crutches. Because of course he is. That's a thing. Because of course he is. What's your job? I deal with unreturned crutches. (laughs) (laughs) Okie dokie. Which is unreturned medical supplies in in general. £75,000 a year doing that. Oh. I imagine there is somebody at, at the hospital who, who follows up with people who haven't returned medical supplies. Oh, get a fucking life, snaps Emma, hurting Craig's feelings, which I think <laughs> we all appreciated. Then she tells him to wax his nostrils. And that's as far as we get with that this week. This was a fun story. The, the fact that even Emma is like point blank telling him to get a life. Right. That's... Emma, who doesn't have a bad word for anyone. Get a life. Wax I mean, your nostrils. Yes, she's stressed that he's going to find out about about Ted, but still, it's... Uh, the thing that really irritates me about this isn't necessarily the forum with the... That um, d- does annoy me. It's, it's the fact that somehow he was able to use police resources to get the crutch fingerprinted. Yeah, taxpayers' money. Right, yeah. And when somebody points out, isn't that, isn't that against the rules? Well, yeah, but he, he says, well, yeah, but the guy's a mate, so he was able to do it. It's like, that's, that's not how this is supposed to work. But I, but I do believe that that's how the police works. <laughs> Fav- favours for favours. Right, yeah. Can you fingerprint this, this crutch for me? Because we're mates. It's an it's a old crutch. It's been in Tim's boot. It's wooden. He's been using it. It's porous. <laughs> He's been using it. And also fingerprint analysis is, isn't the thing that people think it is. It really isn't. So, it really is not. So it's just an awful way for this to go. And, and I'm hoping... And yet, I, I enjoyed this. And I know nobody else did. Because the stick that this storyline's getting on Twitter is it's incredible. Craig, stop going on about that fucking crutch. <laughs> Seems to be the, yeah. the theme of it. It makes me laugh. It just like, makes me laugh. I like puzzles. Do you? Then get a Sudoku. Right. I'm sure Peter has lots of them that you can borrow. <laughs> and a little And a little quilt. shawl. Because right. <laughs> yeah, you're an invalid right now. Although he does eventually, he is eventually able to like walk without it. Yeah, and he, finally, he'd been wandering around about the precinct all week trying to track this thing down. So one has to assume that he's going to successfully track it down, right? That we're not going through all this for nothing. Surely he's going to find out who the crutch belonged to. Is he? Do you think he has? To, right. right, but it's really circumstantial evidence of you know. But then what happens? Right, because Craig now thinks that his girlfriend, in inverted commas, and Emma. I've killed Ted? Well, that somebody has killed Ted and donated the crutch to the charity shop. But, but, nobody, could... but no, 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 because nobody donated anything to the charity shop. Right, but but Coulson, I mean, Craig doesn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Craig Did you hear Craig doesn't... on Sofa Cinema Club this week? <laughs> Craig 
know that. You know, he thinks that Emma got it at a charity shop. Yeah, so but he's that story's be like, going to fall to pieces when he realizes that it was Ted's. No, why would think, it? Because it doesn't make sense, because cause this was Ted's. Maybe the, the T-H-S right. stands for Ted's name now. But it doesn't. Because, I'm thinking maybe it does, because it begins with a T. Right. But apparently this hospital does carve their initials into crutches. Because, you know, a modern hospital is still giving out wooden, old wooden crutches. It doesn't, so that's, that's not a thing. Yeah, none of... This is... I, I don't... But here we have a, a chance for... Uh, what I was going to call Colson again. Here's, Hitch- here we have a chance for, for Craig to decide what is more important here. Is it his relationship with Faye or is it his job? Is he a policeman at the moment? And yes, he is. So if he if he doesn't right, he's making a big deal about how nobody on the street takes him seriously as a cop. Right, here's a chance for him to prove that he is a cop and send his girlfriend back to jail for murdering right. Ted, even though she didn't. Yeah, all I know is Hitchcock is rolling in his grave. Moving on <laughs> <laughs> to Cinco Leo's awful housemates on Friday at the pub. <laughs> weren't the deplorable? I fucking hated them. I fucking hated the pair of them. On Friday, at the pub, Jenny asks Daisy to cover for her later because she's off to a gig in town and I couldn't catch who it was that she was going to see with Sinkhole Leo. Carla comes in for a word with Jenny, but Jenny blows her off on account of her date with Sinkhole Leo. Carla looks like she's not too happy about this and fumes as she storms off. Correct. Later, Daisy's surprised when Jenny and Sinkhole Leo have decided to get their hole before the gig and she kind of bumps into Daisy and Leo in stairs through the back. Daisy tells Jenny about Carla's reaction earlier, but Jenny does not give a shit. At the last minute, just before they're about to leave, Sinkhole Leo announces that his housemates are coming in to meet her in three seconds' time, so get ready. They're as sickly sweet as you'd imagine, and we learn that the two of them are moving out of their house. We learn that Leo likes a nerf gun war and other bits of stupidity, and Jenny looks like she suddenly feels very old. Yes. The housemates also announce that the female one is pregnant. So the talk turns to cooing conversations well, about it's, babies. it's so weird she accepts the glass of champagne but then lets it sit there right and wait for somebody to say why aren't you drinking your champagne yeah instead of just saying oh no no champagne for me thanks just an orange juice because that's what pregnant ladies and alcoholics drink in the rovers right yeah i will get to that and also a little bit later as well just the way that they kind of treat jenny like when she comes in and she's like, oh, you're so cute and this place is so darling. Yeah. The fuck are you? That's what Jenny should be saying. <laughs> you know, it's like this This was the first time that I was like, oh, maybe Leo's not a good guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe That's what I've been thinking for maybe a while. This is, maybe this is something that he does. He dates these older women and his friends find it hilarious and that, you know, it's some sort of game between him and his friends yep about the old ladies he That's dates the vibe that i'm getting yeah i did not like it. and it's weird because i did not get that vibe from his friends that we met last week the rugby playing ones yeah mm-hmm. they seemed all right yeah they weren't assholes yeah. rugby playing guys right i mean <laughs> you know n- neither one of them treated jenny like 
No, but we didn't really get any um, extended Mm -hmm. introduction to them. They did compliment the place, which in hindsight... Yeah, there's a little... Mm. Some flags are fluttering here. Yeah. And they look like they might be red. Yes. So anyway, all this conversation about babies makes Jenny feel even older. And privately she tells Sinkhole Leo that she can never give him a baby. He says that he only wants her. Now how about we meet with my folks? Uh, Yikes. Let me think about this, says Jenny. And that's as far as we get with that. Yeah, I don't like Leo and I don't like his mates and I don't like his housemates. Taken against them. This pair were awful. And Leo seems more and more immature as we go along. I mean, he's got like a serious, a good serious job. He investigates sinkholes. Right. And he plays with Nerf guns with his housemates. Yeah. Who are awful Why? people. Right? Yeah, there, hmm. there seems to be an immaturity there. Like he's looking for a mommy figure. Yeah, a little sort bit. Sort of thing. Oh, he's just ripping the piss out of her. It's or a both. long way to it go. Could be both. Right, it's a long way to go and an awful lot of effort to put in to make that happen, I guess. But Yeah. This was the first time that I kinda got the vibe that you've been getting. What age do you think Leo is? See, I thought he was at least in his thirties, but the way that they're acting like with the whole nerf gun and stuff makes me think twenties. I thought thirties. I thought early thirties. Like so, maybe there's like twenty years difference between him and Jenny. I thought it was Jenny's maybe 50. like thirty-five initially, because again, he's a serious guy with a serious job. Could remember he was going to be a professional job, and he was also going to be a conceivable relationship for Daisy. Right. So I don't think he can be that old. I don't know. I mean, Daisy can. It's a lot more societally. It's a lot more conceivable that Daisy would be dating somebody older than herself yeah. than Jenny dating somebody younger than herself. Right. I am I am more along the lines of there's something wrong with Leo than there's something wrong with Phil with two L's. So. I agree. Moving on then to our final storyline today is Tim's health MOT. On Monday, Sally is searching for her keys in the morning, still angry with Tim about the training ground leak to Maria. Tim leaves quickly as Sally finds her wedding photo and broken frame just stuffed in a drawer. <gasps> Peter and Tim nip into Nina's rolls for breakfast. Peter is gobsmacked that Tim still hasn't told Sally, but Tim announces that he'll spill the beans after his pre-op meeting on Friday, and in the meantime he intends to make provisions for the fair Mrs. Metcalf upon the occasion of his demise, perish the thought. Peter is wearing a t-shirt with a number two in it. It devs... <laughs> Yeah, did you see that Craig was wearing his Y sweatshirt again? It's hilarious. <laughs> a dev Sally bumps into Peter, and of course they get chatting about Tim's lie regarding the mysterious retiring cabbie from last week. Peter pretends that he didn't really know about Barry, and then pretends that he's forgotten his wallet and suspiciously runs away. Meanwhile, Tim goes to see George about arranging his own funeral. Barry, played by Bill Hader. The Undertaker, who let's remember bought Eileen's funeral for her Christmas. Who's dating Anna Kendrick, so you, this, you have to take her off your list. Thinks this is most peculiar, but invites Tim inside to discuss more. Why would I have to take it off my list? I fancied Susanna Hoss for most of my life, and she's been happily married to the guy that made Austin Powers <laughs> the entire time. She's 63. That's true. I think this week. Yeah. All right, fine. Anna Kendrick can still stay on your list. I remember being like 15. 
and she was like in her thirties and thinking that was so old. Susanna Hoff, we're yeah. talking about that. <laughs> when I was fifteen, when somebody in their thirties that seemed that seemed old. Yeah. And now I'm nearly fifty. Somebody who's sixty three. Yeah. Yeah. That works. <laughs> it's just strange how how time seems much more important when you're young. Yeah. What an original thought that is. <laughs> Better trademark that. <laughs> So you're okay with, with Bill Hader and Anna Kendrick dating now? Yeah, I'm sure they make a lovely couple. Yeah. They're both funny. Where did I get to? I don't know. I distracted you successfully. Well, you didn't distract me as I was reading it because I've just powered through and ignored you. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so Tim's in speaking to The Undertaker about his funeral and The Undertaker thinks this is weird even though The Undertaker bought Eileen her funeral. Right. I think it's telling that it was it was when I said that you had to take Anna Kendrick off your list that you finally stopped it. And yeah, don't be telling me what, what makes my list and what doesn't. <laughs> on his way out, Tim thanks the Undertaker, and as they're chatting about songs to say goodbye to, Eileen pops out of nowhere, and now she's in on Tim's impending death. Yes. Tim swears Eileen to secrecy, and then immediately goes off to arrange his will with Adam. So, the people now in on Tim's impending death are Aggie, Peter, The Undertaker, Eileen and Adam and only one of them is bound to keep shtum about it. Sally sees Which Adam. One? Adam, he's got the privilege. That's true. Isn't Sa- there somebody else who knows too? Well, the doctor. Curtis's oh, doctor. Yeah. Sally Dr. Sees- Hadley. <laughs> Curtis's doctor. From, from now until eternity. Sally sees Adam take Tim up the office. But not like that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Later, Sally tracks Adam down to the rovers and demands to know why he was seen Tim. That's privileged information, Adam says. He's my husband, says Sally. Then talk to him, says Adam. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> this is not the first time that Adam's advice to people has been, well, talk to the person then. Keep us lawyers out of it. Sally stays on at the rovers and gets wired into the vino. She meets Kev and explains about her Tim woes and how she's worried that he's either having an affair or plotting a divorce. Kev can't believe this a Tim, thinking that both are far too exciting. Both options are far too exciting for him. Sally's determined to find out what it is. Kev thinks maybe speaking to Tim would be a useful choice here. And, you know, Kev and Adam are right, but let's remember, Sally's been trying to speak to him about this. <laughs> For days, this is true. she has confronted him over and over and over and over again about oh, this. That was four and overs. And over. Later at Nina's Rolls, Peter is shocked to discover that Tim has now arranged his own funeral. Peter points out the number of people who now know about his situation, but Tim thinks the least he can do for Sally is wait until after the pre-op. Yes, says Peter, that is the very least that you can do. Tim gets home and Sally confronts him. She's not stupid and she demands the truth. Do you have a sandwich under your hat or are you having an affair? Tim removes his hat to reveal no sandwich. Or are you Jack Nicholson and I can't handle the truth? Sally's suspicious because usually at this time of the year, Tim likes his sexy time as it cuts down on the heating bills. <laughs> Tim insists that he isn't having an affair. He loves Sally. And now, if you'll excuse me, I need a bath because I'm covered in vomit. Sally heads back to the rovers and ends up getting pissed as she chats with Abby about cheating Tim. Abby offers to get the drinks in. ABC, says Sally. Anything but Chardonnay. And Abby is on the orange juice. Yes. So, is Abby on the orange juice because she's still pregnant? Or is Abby on the orange juice because she is on the wagon? Because she gave up the drink, didn't she, when she gave up the drugs? 
the she, last thing. She did, but she does enjoy a beer now and then. Hmm. She does ask, and she does ask Daisy if she has any non-alcoholic wine, which Daisy hilariously says, yes, it's called water. Yeah, because that's grape juice. Yeah. It's what she should have said. Yeah. Um, and initially I thought she was looking for some non-alcoholic wine to trick Sally. Sally, right. Yeah. I think that's what you're meant to think. Mm. Yeah. I don't want to think about that right now because it's not this storyline. Okay. Abby firmly insists that Tim loves the bones of Sally and she's 500% sure that he's not having an affair. People said that about Kev, says Sally, who's, <laughs> who said that to Kev earlier this episode as well. They said that about Tyrone, just as Tyrone comes in and then immediately leaves. Abby would stake her left nut on Tim being faithful. If you don't believe it, get proof. So Sally goes home and puts a tracker on Tim's phone, just like Jenny did with Liz. It's hilarious. You know, Tyrone hasn't really had a storyline of his own for, for a wee bit. But the times that he is in other people's storylines this week... It's just so funny. Yeah. It's so good. Like the whole... Well, he's responsible for noising Craig up. Sally, right? yeah. That's hilarious. And then the whole Sally shouting Alita Teeny Weedy at him. Right. And he's like, you know what? Never mind. I don't need alcohol this much. But this is the Tyrone that we see in classic. Yeah. He's a little less world weary right a little, yes obviously a little sort of bright eyed and he's he's learning how to drive at the moment Aww. but he thinks he knows how to drive because of all the cars that he's stolen in his life <laughs> something that the instructor doesn't uh appreciate right but his little looks and his little expressions that say so much is he giving looks it's very much the same as uh as we're doing here that's a this is great tyrone stuff mm-hmm. The only thing that would make it better is if he was wearing his MSU t-shirt. Yeah, I think we can forget about that now. <sighs> hey, the Y sweatshirt came back. <laughs> all I want is an ITV puffer puffer jacket. That's all I want. On Wednesday, Tim and his new best mate Peter are having a cup of Nina's rolls. Tim explains that Sally thinks that he's having an affair. Peter doesn't think that makes sense. He's going a long way for a shortcut, says Peter who once more advocates the easiest and less stress option of telling Sally rather than maintaining his list of who knows what. Later, Sally's in Nina's roles checking up on Tim on the tracker app and runs off when she discovers that he's hanging out at Debbie's. Later, Sally's in Nina's roles checking up on Tim on the tracker app and runs off when she discovers that he's hanging out at Debbie's rape hotel. Rather than go to the rape hotel, though, Sally goes to see Abby. Abby's sure there's an explanation, but Sally wants her as backup. Abby's too busy, so ha- Sally has to go on her own, rendering this entire scene unnoteworthy. Right. So Sally it's finds... A good, it's a good thing Abby wasn't able to come. Right. Yeah, for future. Yeah. Yeah. So Sally but finds, not like that. So Sally finds Tim in the rape hotel and hides behind a plant, waiting for the fancy lady to turn up. She leaps out. Aha, she shouts. All right, Sal says Tim, and he pulls out a champagne flute. Tim explains that he can't cope with two different types of milk in the fridge, never mind two women. He found the app on his phone and lured her to the rape hotel. The app works both ways. They'll get some champagne down your throat and he promises to explain why he's still trustworthy. Do you think they have almond milk or oat milk or goat milk plus regular cow milk in their fridge? I think they've got 
uh, semi skimmed and full fat. <laughs> so they're both they're both cow milk. They're both from a cow. You don't think Sally's jumped on the oat milk wagon? No. Hmm. She's on the the two percent though. Tim promises not to keep anything from Sally, but before he gets a chance to explain what's going on, Sally doesn't know what she'd do without him. She can't imagine him not being in her life. She'd die if she found out he needed a triple bypass. <laughs> More champagne? asks Tim. And later, Sally tells Abby the good news. Tim had discovered his her duplicity and conned her to the rape hotel for champers. Huzzah, says Abby. Sally goes home for tea. And then Shona pops up because she's been lingering about in the the shadows to tell Abby about how close Tim and Aggie have been lately. On Friday, right? Because remember, Shona saw them in the memorial garden. Yes, which we thought was a strange thing to point out. Yes, but now we know why. On Friday, ahead of the pre-op, Tim is practicing his heartfelt apology for telling everyone on the street about his upcoming operation. Apart from Sally, Belter says Aggie, "Today's the day we tell her." Finally. At the factory, Sally is explaining about her encounter with Tim at the rape hotel to Carla. Carla has doubts that this was a setup that Tim insists it was, because Tim, is that clever? Mm. What if he saw you coming? Abby, who doesn't work at the factory, is there too, and we learn from Sally's conversation with her that Sally hasn't deleted the app and can see Tim's at the hospital, presumably dropping someone off. Abby silently fumes. Back in the street, Aggie and Tim are talking about the terminology of the operation and Aggie senses that this is a bit overwhelming for him when he realises his heart's going to stop and so takes him back to hers for a cuppa. Again, again, just go to to Nina's Rolls for a cuppa. Meanwhile, Sally and Abby are at Nina's Rolls. Sally, that's why I don't go to Nina's Rolls, because Sally's there. Sally checks it up again and discovers that Tim is at number three and Abby has to come clean and warn Sally that she thinks Tim is pegging Aggie. Abby explains her conversation with Shona, a reliable source if ever there was one. The hospital thing and now number three. What more proof does she need? But Tim and number three is having a panic attack at Aggie's just as Sally batters on Aggie's window. Uh-oh. Aggie lets Sally in and she, tend, as she tends to her husband. Keep your hands off my man. <laughs> Aggie calls an ambulance and uh, Sally learns about Tim's health and triple bypass by Aggie's conversation with the 999 people. Aggie has to explain how she's been supporting Tim through numerous medical appointments. At the hospital, we learn Tim has had an angina attack brought on by panic. Sally wants to know how he kept us from her. No I love you, no goodbye, just gone. Tim says this is what he tried to protect her from. If he wasn't having open heart surgery, she'd punch the fuck out of him, she says. Mm-hmm. Later, Faye arrives and finds out Tim will be kept in overnight and his operation has been brought forward and we're forced to realise for the first time that Faye has been kept in the dark about this too. Yeah, that, that was, <laughs> was like, wait a second. Oh yeah. He didn't even tell his daughter. <laughs> Sally goes home to pack a bag for Tim, Eileen and the Undertaker visit and it doesn't take long for the Undertaker to blow the secret that Tim has organised his own funeral and sorted out as well with Adam. He meant well, you should be proud of him, he says. He's picked some good music as well. Sally storms back to the hospital. She tells Tim how hurt she is that everyone knows about his operation apart from her. She thinks that he doesn't trust her, which means that he doesn't love her, and it also means that she can't trust him. She's betrayed and devastated and doesn't know how the two of them can get through this, like that time she discovered that he was already married. He needs his Sal. Well, she's a long way from being here, she says, and she leaves the room and breaks down outside. And that is how we end this week's episodes. (sighs) This was... 
We've been predicting this for two weeks, right? And she doesn't even know, you know, about the other people who already know. Well, she doesn't know about Peter. No. Is that it? I think I think that's it. Right. But I don't still. think that's going to really be the straw that breaks her back at all. But still, there are more people still that she doesn't know about. So the right. lie continues. And we've said this. We said this from from the start of it. What's going to happen when Sally finds out? Yeah. And she's going to. This was, she's going to do this. Yeah. So this was always what was going to happen. She's never going to be okay with this. No. No, and it's 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 funny that Faye forgives him so quickly as well because you'd think Faye wouldn't would be equally. See, there was this little bit of because edge between her and Sally. Again, I know, right? and I was I was I was shocked when Sally comes in and and she's all upset and Faye goes makes a snarky comment about it the temperature getting lower in the room, yeah. and it's like. You're supposed to still be mad at your dad for not telling you as well, because right. this is pretty huge. You'd be very upset if something happened to Tim and he didn't tell you and you don't get a chance to, you know, to grieve or or to prepare yourself to grieve or right. prepare yourself for the possibility of having to grieve. And this was a great bit about Sally's little yeah, speech was absolutely. that she has to be strong Sally now. Right. Immediately. Yeah, she doesn't get she, a chance she to She can't grieve. process it. No. She can't be upset. She can't right. cry. And he's like, you can't cry. I just want my... And he's... She, he's he doesn't, not understanding. He doesn't get that, that he's robbed her of that. Yeah. So she has immediately to be... Yeah. ...swollen back her emotions and her feelings to be right. strong for him. But yeah. she hasn't had a chance to deal with it herself. No. It's, it's perfectly true. Absolutely. And perfectly predictable that this is how Sally was going to react. Tim, Ugh. Tim, Tim, nice but dim. Seriously. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I can kind of understand some of the times that he was about ready to tell her and then doesn't, like with the whole Sophie thing. But, you know, he really should have told her at the hotel, even when she said, I can't imagine life without you. Well, funny you should mention Funny my you health. should mention that because, right. you know, there's this possibility... That should have been his wake-up call that he needs to prepare her, not that he needs to continue to protect her. Right. Because what is he really protecting her, her from? He's not really protecting her from anything. Because he's still going to have to have this surgery, and he still could potentially die. The thing about the surgery is, though, that it is now a very successful operation. Well, no, because he hasn't had it yet. They've pushed it forward. No, but this type of operation in general is a very successful operation. Yes. It has a, a very low mortality rate. Especially for somebody as young as Tim. But what it is protecting him from is something that would be far, far more dangerous to him. Yes. So this thing is a positive step to rule out the, the chances of having a potentially fatal heart attack at some point in the near future. So, and the hiding it from her has caused him more stress than being honest would have, which has made... More stress for his heart and for his body. Right. He's putting himself in danger. Yes. To, All to this duplicity has... protect her from something that she's going to find out one way or another anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Tim, nice... You're right, Tim, nice but dim. Because this is just... It doesn't make sense that you would go this far and everybody's caught every not one person has said yeah you're right to protect her from this information 
Nobody says that to him. <laughs> so, so we're led to believe, and again, I can probably believe it, that he thinks that everyone else is wrong, that he knows Sally better than anyone else does. So therefore, what he's doing here is, is the right course of action. But even he realises it's the wrong thing to do. Even he realises that he has to tell her. Right. But is it that he has to tell her because at some point he can't not? Right. At some point he's going to be operated on mm-hmm. in a hospital for a few days or a right. week or whatever. No, none of this. It's Sally is right to be... Upset. To be upset to the point where she doesn't know how this is going to work for the two of them afterwards. Moving forward, yeah. And that's sad because... Yeah, this is the our, this is one of our favourite couples right, on the show. we love the two of them. The two of them are great together. The two of them showed why they're great together this right. week. Right, yeah, absolutely. You know... There's chemistry there. Yeah. When 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 they do their little funny sexy bits, it's believable. And they have their little back and forth with their uh with their joking with each other and Right. Yeah. And it's adorable. Yeah. They're a very sweet, lovely couple. It's just you've got to throw little bits of drama in and if otherwise happy people's lives right to make it successful and to but make it work and, and to give them this chemistry i guess one would think that having to have a triple bypass would be drama enough without manufacturing this whole i must keep this for my wife thing especially when we're still we're not hot in the heels but the heels are still somewhat warm from the whole i lied to my wife about being married correct yeah yeah give them a break yeah absolutely Oh well. Oh well. That was the week that was Coronation Street. What, pray tell, was your moment of the week? Ah, see, this is difficult. It's difficult. Because I would say my moment of the week is, is the kids standing outside the school with tape on their faces, but we gave it to Amy last week. We did. <laughs> we did, Pa. And I kind of regret that now because we could have given it to, to Joseph and, and Hope. And we're like, oh, we'll probably give it to Joseph and Hope next week. <laughs> That's right. We have when, g- when, when, when the opposite was true, we should have given it to Joseph and Hope last week so that we could give it to Amy and the older kids this week with the tape on their faces. Well, we just gave it to really Amy on her own last week. Well, Amy and Max. I didn't mention Max. <laughs> <laughs> And the others were there. Yeah, but it was really it was really it was Amy. Amy's fury that was yeah that was so good. We just love Amy. Yeah, she's great. Do you know I'm not against giving it to to Amy and the young crew. Or Again, is it, it was a very striking or, image, certainly. Or Joseph putting his hundred quid in the tin. Nah, because that was a very sweet and selfless thing for him to do. Yeah. No. Or or Bernie confronting. Clint, I think that would be more moment of the week if Bernie didn't turn around and take the money. Correct. Yeah. Because that was a really good scene and she was really good in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if what happens afterwards kind of spoils it though. Right. Or is it something between Sally and Tim? I'm a little bit too angry about that too. Yeah. <laughs> to get no. that moment of the week. Me too. Yeah. It's like I don't want to... I don't want to give anything positive to this manufactured storyline, no matter how good the acting may have been. Yeah, which it was. Which it was, yes. 
Yeah, the fact that it's generated a reaction is, is a good thing. Yeah, Joe, Joe does a much better job at, you know, acting like something's wrong with his heart than <laughs> lots of other people that have been on the show recently. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. It was nothing, so it can't really be anything from the... Uh, oh, fuck it. It's the kids with the tape on their faces. Thank you. There we go. That is our... Moment of the week. It's such a striking image. Yeah. It was great. I mean, it's not it's not something that I haven't seen before in real life, but mm-hmm. it's still a striking image. Yep. And they, and they won. Yes. So, well, yeah for them. Yeah. Your boring moment of the week. <sighs> Summer's open letter on Instagram. Jesus Christ. So it's the same storyline? Yeah. It's the same storyline with like a 15 minutes between the two of them, kind of thing. <laughs> right. More or less. It's, it's the... If effective protest and non-effective protest. <laughs> Do you know that's kind of poetic as well? Yes. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> or what should not have been effective protest, I should say, because apparently words on Instagram go viral. Right. Without a picture. Yeah, and and just to back up the whole moment of the week thing again, not that I think we need to. I think I think I've made it clear how important I think this story is. And I think doing these parts of it well help that. Yes. So so just before we're about to take something away from it, <laughs> just like to say that. Right. Because summer yes. is our boring moment. Do of the better, week. writers. Right. Do better. Boring moment of the week. Not everything goes viral right. on the internet. Yeah. As I prove every day. <laughs> As I think we both prove every day. All right, shall we wrap this one up then? Yes, please. If you've ever covered your mouth with black duct tape and then gone viral, maybe think about your life choices, but drop us a line <laughs> with the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen the coffee by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. A talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.